Welcome to the Rural Sales Show with my dad and host Sinjin Craner. Each week, my dad interviews people who you can learn from like sales and marketing experts, authors and performance coaches to help you and your rural sales team get to the next level. Oh, and make sure you subscribe or rate us on iTunes so you can buy me a motorbike. And now here's my dad. This week, we were very lucky to get hold of a wonderful woman called Wesleyan Greer. She's founder and CEO of Transform Sales, runs her own wonderful podcast. Wesleyan is unapologetic about training and teaching and focusing on sales managers, or more importantly, sales leaders. So we talk a lot about if you're a CEO or business owner or managing director, VP, president, and you're looking at your national sales manager, your GM sales, anyone that's responsible for the boys and girls out in the front line, we talk about the signs that send signals whether that sales manager is performing or underperforming. And we talk about the importance of the multiplicity of a manager. By that I mean the impact that that manager has across a team and why we need to focus on training sales managers first. We talk about the reluctance and resistance of why sales managers defend or deflect sales training and ego and pride and all those kind of things and get into the psychology of it. I had Wesleyan on, I was on her show, she's now on mine. She talks about how to have a really good sales meeting, makes what makes for successful sales meetings in her own head and also why we fail to sell CRM systems to our sales teams. That's a really, really important one. So as always, plenty to unpack in this one. I hope you learn a lot, particularly if you're a leader who's in charge of leaders or sales leaders, uh, this is a really good one to pay attention to. So listen, learn, as always apply, and I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Okay, team, very lucky this week to have a wonderful lady by the name of Weslin. Weslin is based in Texas, and Weslin is a, I would say, a superstar, maybe a genius on sales management, sales coaching, sales leadership. I'm sure I've already done her a great disservice. Um, We're audio only, but Wesleyan has a power of uh, energy and enthusiasm, and it's very infectious. I was very lucky to go on her show, um, talk around sales psychology in my sector, and it made sense to get her onto our show and talk to us. Now, Wesleyan obviously uh, specializes very much in medical, and she'll introduce herself shortly, but she is very, very good at spotting all the patterns, all the mistakes. So she's going to drop a bomb of value, I'm sure, on us here in the next 40 minutes. So Wesleyan, without too much of a like build up, welcome to the show and thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to chat with you today. Cool, cool. Us too. Um, Wesleyan, do you want to start by introducing yourself, uh, your background, uh, what you kind of specialize in, and then we can crack into it. So I always start with, I'm a recovering chemist. So I started my career in the petrochemical lab, in the petrochemical world. So I was working with plastics, testing plastics. And I was like, I need something a little bit different. I need human interaction. And so I got into sales and I tell people when I got into sales, I finally figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up because I loved everything about it. It was just, uh, I was like, ah, this is what I want to do my whole life. And because of my love and my passion and my tenacity, I made a really quick ascent from individual contributor to international sales manager. And my first six months as an international sales manager, I was like, this sucks. Oh my gosh. I, this is what, what did I do? Why did I leave my good cushy sales job to come here? Like people were leaving the team. We weren't hitting our numbers. It was really bad. And so at that point I realized that I was the problem. So I had to take responsibility for that. And in doing so, I really focused on my development. How do I become a better leader? How do I communicate better? And how do I show up for everybody on my team? And so we went from having the highest turnover in the company, not hitting our numbers to every single month, having double digits over quota and people were wanting to come to my team. And so I got to a point where I was like, I want to do something a little different again. You know, ah, that's what happens to me. And so I started my business and that's what we do. We work with organizations and we focus on leadership centric sales teams. And so we build the team by building the manager. Lovely. I love that. Um, particularly, we just had a slight glip in the, um, in the Wi-Fi there, but I think, uh, or I'm um, it here and hardwired in. I think what you're saying is you obviously a really, really high performing rep, right? 
in the petrochemical, then you, and obviously you've got that science background, which means you've got that big analytical brain, which we're going to get into because sales is, I think about two things, numbers, knowing your maths and knowing your people, which is psychology. So we'll get into that. It's maths and psychology. Same with, same with marketing actually, but we're staying in the sales lane. But what was the saying there is she was a really, really good rep. And then you obviously promoted Peter principal, right? Into a sales leadership role. But of course, what got you here doesn't get you there, like Marshall Goldsmith says, right? Mm-mm, not at all. And one of the biggest challenges, even still today, is when um, organizations take their top sales person and they promote them into a sales manager, they have two huge holes. They take their top performing sales rep out of the field, and then they have a mediocre manager. And so what happens is you think that this top salesperson is going to teach everyone else to be really great, but they don't have the skills because they know how to sell. And being a salesperson is a selfish job. I want to win. I want to do better. So you are focused on yourself and how you can be really good. You're not focused on other people and uplifting and empowering and realizing that your success is no longer based on your sales. It is based on the sales of your team. Oh, so good. And then the other thing is, you know, I think the thing that attracted me particularly to talking to you about this is that your team is only as good as your manager, right? The correlation between sales team success and the competency and capability of the sales manager are inextricably linked, correct? Absolutely. If you have like when the sales manager is weak, um, it, it flows into the team because what the sales manager does is, again, tapping into the psychology that we both share is mm. they put on their defense mechanisms. They're like, so I'm really not that good at that thing. So I'm going to be extra on edge when you ask me a question. I'm going to be extra on edge when my boss asks me why this thing is not working because I'm insecure myself. And so that insecurity comes out in the way that I communicate with the team. And so really, and a lot of times a good salesperson, they don't even always have fundamental sales skills. They may be really, really good at building relationships and they have these three really good customers and those customers feed them. But you take that person and put them in a completely different territory and they completely burn and they fail because they don't have fundamentals. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that kind of like, I'm really interested, Wesley, because I've been really looking forward to having this chat with you because you just, you're nailing it straight away. And I love the succinctness of it is when I when I train sales teams, often the sales manager can sometimes, not all, but some can see it as a threat. Do you see that pattern as well in your business? Um, when I show up to do training? Yeah, 100%. Oh. <laughs> oh, 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 how so, so, so when I do a sales training, um, I everyone is a student. Like, I don't care if you're the manager. I don't care. Like, and if it's a small company, if you're a CEO and you're complaining, you need to be in there too. Because I'm teaching everybody these skills because when I leave... I need the manager to start implementing these things. And when that manager, again, has that defense mechanism, it's because they don't know something. And that's what we do as humans. When we don't know, we get angry, we get upset, we get defensive, right? And so that is how that shows up. And when I'm like, I'm here to help you, I am here to support you, they don't initially get it. A lot of times they're like, I don't understand why I have to sit in this meeting with you. Like, why am I here? Why are you even trying to develop me? And I'm like, I'm not going to be more invested than you are. If you don't want to do this, like your company's already paid me. How about I just work with your team? Like I have to push back on them like that because sometimes as a woman, they kind of take me for granted. Like you don't know what you're talking about. Like you've never done this. You've never been out in the field. You've never carried a quota. I'm like, let me give you my stats. Like I'm not a boastful person, (laughs) but if you push me to the wall, I will give you my stats. I will let you know what I have done. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, I mean, your pre, your pre-sell, your your credentials are amazing in here, whistling. So you know, hopefully they've done their homework. Isn't it sad in two thousand twenty-three, a time of recording, that sometimes established, experienced people like you have to still uh, fight for your credibility, even though you've got an amazing track record, you do amazing things in your podcast, have huge guests. You know, like I, I just think it's disappointing, and I think you know, it's that whole kind of open mindset, uh, closed mindset, you know, uh, Carol Dweck kind of thing. And the other thing is, you know, the whole curiosity versus criticism because curiosity yeah. opens doors, criticism closes them. So if you 
you know, minds are like parachutes. I'm just dropping bloody metaphors all over the place here, Wesleyan. But like, you know, minds are like parachutes. They only work when they're open, right? Mm. So you have to learn. You have to be willing to learn because you know a lot. I know a lot. We're, we're trying to be experts in our particular domain. But if a sales manager is blocking or defensive, they're actually failing their team and they're failing themselves and they're failing the business they work for, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you, a lot of times people tell you, leave your personal lives at home. Um, However, we're humans and we bring whatever trauma, whatever issues, whatever insecurities that we have personally, professionally. And so when you get into a position and you were really, really good before, but you're really just mediocre or maybe even bad, like all of those insecurities you have personally, they start bubbling up to the surface. And if you don't get to the root cause of the problem, then it, it doesn't work. So even when I'm working with leaders and we're, we're talking about getting them developed, I'm not talking about KPIs. I'm not talking about a CRM. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm like, why do you show up and why are you a butthole in front of your in front of your team? Why don't you want to have a weekly sales meeting? And they're like, well, this or that. And like, there was one person who was like, well, I was in um, special classes when I was in high school and I always felt um, like people are staring at me. People don't take me seriously. Or somebody else is telling me that, oh yeah, I grew up and my father was abusive. And so whenever I am threatened by a salesperson, I feel that, right? Like I, yeah. I, I think that it's my dad coming after me. Like all of that stuff affects how you show up and work. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think sometimes, you know, Say if you're in a, I know this is going sort of deep and I don't want to go down the rabbit hole too much, but like if you are lacking power at home, you might want to assert that power at work. I've seen that with some very, very horrible managers where they are probably a, what we call here a yes dear and they're a doormat to their wife or their partner and then they just assert their authority because they're angry and anger usually comes from fear and it's usually a misplaced or unfounded fear. So it's interesting, say when you and I turn up and train a team, this is the response I get from 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 the bad ones, not the good ones, because there's plenty of good ones, but there's a few rotten eggs as well. It's like, well, why do you need to turn up? Why do you guys need to turn up? Why do you need to train? I, I should be able to train my team. But as you rightly say, what got them got them there won't get them here. And sometimes they don't know what they do that makes them successful as a frontline sales rep. And then they become a mediocre manager. And and I think that's the sort of real chasm that I see. So how, how do you mitigate that? Do you then go and talk to the VP or the GM or the CEO or the president? I'm using titles in American. I'm using them in Australasian. But how do you sort of then go, hey, boys and girls, Mr. and Mrs. Sales Manager, you need to like build up. You need to listen here because I'm going to help you, not hinder you. I'm not here to criticize you. I'm here to compliment you. How do you, what's your, what's your MO? How do you go about that? So many times the the person or the people who hire me are those CEOs, those VP of sales, those CROs, because they see that the frontline managers are struggling because mm. again, the frontline managers, they're drowning. And again, this insecurity thing, because they are insecure, they can't say, you just gave me this job and now I'm saying I need some help. Um, I'm not doing really good at my job, this job that I said I wanted. So they usually don't have that tenacity to really speak up for themselves. So I usually am dealing with the somebody who's above them. Um, sometimes I show up to trainings though. And again, I'm a woman. A lot of sales teams are full of men and they don't think that I know what I'm talking about. And mm-hmm. I had a particular situation um, once where it was a like a three-day training. It was a very intensive um, sales training we were doing. And on the first day, I mean, it was like they were just throwing tomatoes at me. Throughout, like, I could not get control of the room. I couldn't do anything. So I had to take a moment. Again, you know, I am always introspective. And I'm like, okay, what went wrong here? Okay, I got yeah. it. So the next day I showed up, I sat down. I didn't even stand up. I sat down and I told them, I was like, I have already been paid for this training. So I am happy to sit in the front of this room for the next two days and work while your company pays me to sit here and work. I am not going to be more invested in your development than you are. If you don't want to be developed, I have no problem with that. I'm going to go around. I need each of you guys to present because I had them present some work on something and present it. I need each of you to present your project. And then I want you to say, I want you to coach me. If you don't say you don't want to be coached, you're not hurting my feelings. I won't call on you ever again throughout this training. 
And every single person in that room, like, I want to be developed. I want to be developed. Because that's the thing. People have to take ownership of learning. People have to take ownership of their development. Like, you can't just have this coat of armor on and be so defensive and then expect me to show up and do something for you. I love that because it's really funny. I can't remember. There was another podcast I was listening to. It's like when your uh, amount of care exceeds the amount of care that your client has, that's where I go. I, I don't overinvest. Like, I loved how you said, if you're not invested in becoming better in the same way I'm invested in you, then, you know, basically I feel for me, Wesleyan, I'm in the wrong room. The key for me is I want to get the right people in the room. And that doesn't mean like HR or people in form say, hey, you're all going to go in a room with Wesleyan or Sinjin and we're going to train you and we're going to fix you. Like all the low performers, the squeakiest wheels, the ones that will never you know, at the bottom, they, the old Jack Welsh style, the top, you know, the bottom 20, 30%, they have to be cold like livestock. They have to be moved on or they have to be performance managed up or out because they are wasting everyone's time and everyone's energy. I've been in those rooms as well. I see the crossed arms and like, oh, what are you here to teach me? I know bloody everything. It's not the right attitude if you want to learn and grow because interesting listeners, the thing that Wesley's pointing out here as well is she's been talking a lot around insecurity security comes from skills. So the more you learn, the more you earn Warren Buffett style, right? So I continually hand this into people, right? You know, the more you learn, the more you earn. The more skills, the more capabilities, the more competencies you have, right, Wesleyan, the further you're going to go. Would you agree? Absolutely. When you practice and practice and practice, I, I listened to a um, podcast that had, um, they, it was Kobe Bryant and he was talking about yeah. like his tenacity and, and how he would be on the court practicing. And then he would see one of his teammates come up after him and his teammate would leave and go on and he would still be there. And he said his teammate came up to him and asked him, he's like, man, you were there before me. You stayed after me. and You're so good. Like you were making all your shots. And he said, because I want you to know that I'm going to work harder than you. I'm going to do more than you do. I'm going to put more in than you put in. And that is how you get security. It's repetition because the art, the science, which one is sales? It, I, I am a believer that it is, yes, there is some art, but there is science. You have to understand how to open a door. You have to understand how to do an effective demo. You have to understand how to handle objections with grace, right? And that's where the art comes in. So there's a balance, but you have to have those skills and you have to practice them. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, in, in rugby land down here in Australia, and particularly in New Zealand, is there's uh, our national team is called the All Blacks, and they talk about champions do extra. Very much like Kobe Bryant. So basically they go in there and they do extra. So when the training's finished, they're still going, you know. Yeah. After the game, they're still doing their sprints and their warm downs and everything else, 100%. I mean, you know, we know salespeople can learn so much from the highest paid sports people on the planet. Now, Wilson, I've got some questions for you that are coming up. Now, What do you, we talked last time, and I'd love you to share with the listeners here. Tell me the why is it that um, – Training is so dominated by product training, and then they get you and I to come in and go, you've got half an hour or you've got one hour to train our guys on sales. Like, what's your response to that? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I actually have my LinkedIn profile headline right now, and it might be changed in a day or two, but it says, I teach really smart people how to actually sell. Because what happens is really smart people think that their products... <laughs> We'll sell themselves. Like we have the top-notch product. This is German engineering. This is made here, handcrafted, whatever they want to say. And they're like, that is what sells. Nobody cares about those product features. And that's the disconnect with leadership and what is actually happening in sales. They don't speak the language of the customer. The customer wants to understand what their problems are. They want you to understand their problems and they want to know how you're going to fix these problems for me. They don't really care about... The, the fact that your iPhone has a compass, but I live in Houston and I'm never going hiking. Like, I don't care about that. And probably most people don't care about that either, right? And so when you think about the product dump and the product dump, when we talk about product features and all of those bits and pieces, like I make salespeople do a five feature demo. Like what five things do you show that equate to five problems that they're having? That is all I care to hear about. And that is all your customer cares to hear about stop the vomit because people cannot process all of that information in their head. 100%. The verbal vomit, the show up, throw up routine, you know, the selling, oh, sorry, the telling, 
you know, versus selling, you know, like oh, just totally, totally agree. Now, the other thing is, because I, I, I really want to maximize the time we've got together because it's really, really precious is uh, what do you think uh, makes for the most ineffective? I'm, I'm being very negative here. We'll go to the positive very soon. But because you've seen so many patterns, you're in that privileged position like me, you see these things. Uh, tell me, describe the worst sales meeting format ever. So like with the, uh, you mean the boss and the team that, yeah, yeah, 100%. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'll walk you through the entire thing. So when, as soon as the team, as soon as the team comes in, um, the, there are, the boss is already sharing their screen on the screen. They have, um, the list of top performance, bottom performance with the actual numbers that they have yeah. generated right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. For that month. And so that's great to demotivate the bottom and make the the top people feel like, yes, I'm amazing. Then they open up the CRM dashboard and they're going through the different KPIs. You guys aren't doing this well. You're not doing that well. Okay. So Bob, tell me about this opportunity. Sally, tell me about that opportunity. And that goes on and on and on. And then towards the end, they're like, yeah, guys, we're at 80% of quota. um, So I need you to get on the phones. I need you to start dialing some more, get out there, see customers. All righty. See you next week. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah now just listen to that listeners because what Wesson's done is painted you the worst case sales meeting so you know to me i often see sales meetings sometimes i observe them i come and observe them and then we set a better format but you know what you're saying there is very compliance driven so tell me what's wrong there let's break unpack that what's going on the the dominance the demotivation the lack of specificity the lack of knowledge transfer the lack of coaching the lack of using that time effectively as opposed to a tick box exercise. I'll just add one thing, Wesley, I've seen it where the first thing they talk about, you know, like uh, Stephen Covey talks about first things first, like the mm-hmm. priority, the first, the big things. Um, guys, I need to talk to you about your credit card receipts and your expenses. <laughs> yeah, like, I forgot I'm that like, one. <laughs> This is Monday morning. It's usually always a Monday, right? Yeah. We're trying to motivate and fire this team up because it's a tough job sales on the front line. And we completely demotivated them. So, yeah, unpack that for me, that terrible sales meeting format that we so often see. So the first thing is when you put up your top performers, like you rank your salespeople, um, one of the things that you never want to do is actually put up what their quota is. Like, don't put actual numbers. It's okay to say this person was at 100% a goal, 120% a goal. But what happens is that new salesperson who has a smaller territory or doesn't, hasn't grown as much, they have this half a million dollar territory and they're like, he got $3 million. Like, I won't do that in three years. And so it literally demotivates them in their brain. They're like, I'm never going to do that. So, but what it does show, you want that person to be like, okay, I have a half a million dollar quota and I'm at 120% of goal. So I'm right up there with a top person. That helps. And it's all about, again, it goes back to that mental motivation. How do we really train their mind? The CRM is a tool. It is a fantastic tool, but it should never, ever, ever be shown in a sales meeting. Why? Because you do that on your own time and then you get key information and you ask your sales team one-on-one. If there is something you need to train them on in the system, make it a specific CRM training, like literally CRM training. The point of the sales meeting is to skill build. Like what one skill am I going to build today, this week with my team? That is what needs to happen. That is what should be going on. And then you don't, if this is like a one person show, like I just show up and throw up. I'm not asking, do you have questions? How getting them engaged, making their wheels turn because everybody's off camera and they're on their phone, they're doing whatever they need to. So this meeting is ineffective and they feel like it's a waste of time. And then if you're at, at quota, below quota, above quota, it doesn't matter. Don't just tell me to go out there and sell. Tell me how. Obviously, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, exactly. tell me what to do, right? Yeah. Say, I want you to, in the next hour, I want you to call three new customers. And here's what I want you to say. This this is what I want you to talk about. Like, give people the skills that they need so that they can take it to the next level. hundred, hundred. Like, I love that old concept of skill build because I think there's, when you think about, there was an app that you banged in everyone's wages or hourly rate and it was burning in the right hand column on the on the on the slide like we're literally burning cash in this meeting like the wage bill so often when i'm training a sales team i go collectively 
I'm estimating there's about $1.5 million worth of wages in this room right now. So we need to choose this time bloody well. Mm. And we can start the clock. Literally, it's burning an hourly, an effective hourly rate. So that's kind of one tool I use. I, you said something very, very important there, the skill build, maximizing that time, motivating, coaching, not managing, and we're going to get into that, is why is it, because Wesley, you said to me, Sinjin, you just throw any question you want, I'm going to catch it, mate. So I'm, That's right. I know you're up for this. <laughs> I know you're up for this, lady, is why do most CRM systems fail? Why do most I've – got, I've got a hypothesis. I've got something, but I'm very interested in your answer. Why is it – that CRM systems are mostly hated and rejected by sales teams and the sales managers, his or her, pulling their hair out going, why are you not freaking filling in the CRM system? Because we just spent a shit ton of cash on it. What's your answer? It's because they do. Uh, it's So one of the things that I tell these sales managers are your customers are your salespeople. Right. So when you so when we tell our salespeople to go out there, uncover the pains, uncover the problem, what are the issues that our customers are having? That's the same thing the sales manager needs to do. So when you roll out a CRM system, you need to speak the language of the salespeople. What do they want to do? Make money, close business. How does this enable you to do that? Help them take them on the path. Show them how it does. And when I'm in training and I tell people, I'm like, I feel like Microsoft and Salesforce should behave me because I'm all, I'm like, a, I am a CRM lover. And I tell every salesperson, you cannot manage your business if you're not using this. Because depending on, on the fields that I work in, you should have anywhere between 100 to 150 open opportunities at a time in order to be filling your pipeline. How do you remember everything about every single person that you're talking to? If you're doing mm. your job right, there should be five to eight people within each opportunity that you have to touch, that you have to know. How do you know the conversation you had with Sally for 20 minutes two weeks ago? How do you remember that she said that her daughter was going to have surgery and you send her a text message to say, I hope your daughter has a good surgery today? That closed your deal for you right? Those small little bits, there's no way you can ever remember those things. So when you are selling this CRM tool to your team, you have to help them remind them this enables you to make money. This is not a detractor. I'm not micromanaging you. I don't care if you make 50 phone calls. I care that you make 10 phone calls and you have the notes in there for 10 phone calls because those 10 phone calls are going to help you close business. I need to see your uh, meeting log because I want to make sure that you're spending your time effectively. Are you going to this part of the city and then going all the way across town? No, let's cluster that together. This is to help you. I'm using this to help you, to empower you, to enable you to sell. To sell. A hundred percent. I'm so glad that you are validating what I say because it means a lot to me because you know, we talk about district driveway strategies here. You do not run, you don't drive three hours to one farmer appointment in my world and then another to a rancher, a farmer, a crop and grower, like three hours, you cluster around one road. So we always talk about winning the road before we win the region. So mm. on that, on that selling that CRM, you're so right because sales teams, majority of them are professional salespeople. They need to be sold. And, and listeners, there's really, really good around wisdom saying, you need to sell them on their CRM system. You know, we, we're coaching and training them on how to sell to prospects. Your sales team are your CRM clients. We need to sell them on the system and the benefits. And it's really clear, right? I want to make some money and I want to close more sales. And it's not about micromanagement or big brother. It's like, hey, your church is way out of whack. We've got too many. But Wesson's just, you nailed it. It's like you might have 100, 150 in a, in a pipeline, for you, I, th- I would agree with that number. And there might be five to eight people involved in each of those deals. How the heck are you going to remember the conversations and the detail on each of those deals? Or you've got big old boy at the back going, oh, it's all in here, mate. It's all in here. It's in the top two inches. It's what we call an A4 farmer. It's it's not going to work because our memory fails us, right? So awesome, Wesley. Just awesome, awesome, awesome um, insight. I'd like to then go to, you know how we... Uh, do buyer personas and we also segment sales teams usually using acronyms i use like abcde like analytical buyer bought buyer commander corporate buyer you know point 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 i i i disinterested buyer and enjoyable buyer very simple acronym do you have a similar and don't go into detail but like do you have uh something where you have like the segments 
of types of sales managers or sales manager personas like is there the the dominator the crusher the hugger like do you have those you know i actually don't and i think that's something i need to do it's a great idea oh i love that i love that but as you because i said throw it at me i'll catch it but when i think about sales managers i can probably put them in a couple different categories please tell me Um, what what you see so i the first category i will call the you should not be a sales manager that's going to be the first category start there. Okay. We'll start with the bad and then we'll go up. And so how do you know you should not be a sales manager? You should not be a sales manager if you sit at your desk every day and you are wishing that you can be out in the field um, closing sales. Every time your salespeople call you and they you go on a joint call with them, you are commanding the room because you still want to be a salesperson. If you still want to be a salesperson in your heart and you have in six months not empowered or uplifted a person on your team, you should not be a sales manager. Then we will go to that middle of the road. That person who really wants to be a sales manager, they have that innate desire to do that. They don't have the skills though. And so they're out there, they're searching, they're doing research on their own, but they don't have the skills and they don't have the confidence to ask their management for help. They don't have the confidence to ask for help. So those are the middle of the pack. And those are the kind of people that will end up after that typical 18 months. Say They say sales managers last 18 months. After 18 months, they'll kind of fizzle out and go somewhere else, stay for 18 months and fizzle out. They just get through the tide because they're never asking for help. They're never asking to be developed. And then you have that superstar sales manager. And that is the one who is self-aware enough to know I have no idea what I'm doing. Like Wesleyan was, I don't know what I'm doing. And y'all gonna help me because you got this, this huge quota you want me to fill with all of these people. And I need to be developed. I need help. A man go to your leader and say, how can I follow you? What tips do you have for me? How can I get better? Like they innately want to get better and they will do anything that it takes to get better. They may have to invest in themselves, but they're not going to sit in a box and be quiet and say like, I I can't do it. And all of those sales managers, the way that they feel internally in themselves is how they treat their team. So the superstar is empathetic in the field, in the trenches, is quiet, sitting in the back of the room during a, um, a discovery call with a client. That middle of the pack person, sometimes they're on, sometimes they're off, but they they don't know what to do if they feel comfortable and they're inconsistent. And then the you should not be a sales manager. They just show up and throw up all the time. I love that. I see in my world down here a lot of commanders, I call mm. them commanders, like command and control. Do I as I say, not as I do. And then yep. their, their language that they give themselves is, when I was a rep, I did this. When I was a rep, I did that. And it's not motivating. And I loved your definition at the start is the not to be a sales manager definition, which is if you want to think, continue, want to be selling and out in the in the rep world, out in the front line, you shouldn't be a sales manager because your job isn't to sell as a sales manager. I also see there's some state maybe companies where they overload their sales manager with a sales yeah. manager because they're so good when they're a rep, they still overload them because they're shit scared that they're going to lose quota and customers and those customers haven't been transitioned and navigated and moved on to the rep with a really good transition, really good handover. So they're completely overwhelmed. They've got far too much on their plate. They're mm-hmm. trying to sell and they're trying to manage, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it's bonkers. eh? Yeah. And one of the first things that I do when I go into an organization, I said, sales managers manage sales, people sell period. If you don't have the budget, to hire this person's replacement, then it doesn't matter what I do because this is always going to fail. Because how can I focus on my quota in my territory and also think about everything else globally? It doesn't actually even make logical sense. It, it never works ever, ever, ever. And what I tell that organization is you don't have to hire a superstar like them, but they need like a junior salesperson, an intern. They need somebody that they can mentor and develop and offload some of these things to them. And yeah, it mm. might be a six, 12, 18 month plan, but they mm. cannot do the job that they did being number one and still manage your entire team. Exactly. They kind of fall between two stools, right? They're yep. trying to still be rock star rep, 
and they're trying to be sales superstar, mate, and they just can't. You know, it's like Roger Federer doesn't try to be a golfer and a tennis player. They just want to get really, really deep on one one skill set, right? Absolutely. Like, literally, let us double down on one thing and let me get really, really good at this one thing. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now, I know we covered this, but, like, I'm we're really – really going to town on sales managers. We talked about the good, the bad, the ugly. I just want to carry on because I think this has been huge gold for, you know, emerging sales managers or rural business owners that listeners going about thinking about their sales managers. Because often we have podcasts where we talk about the team and psychology and all the things and questions and curiosity and objection prevention and church management plans, all that influences, all that kind of stuff. What are the other mistakes you see sales managers make? Can you kind of like paint a day in the life? We, you did it so well, the sales meeting. What are the other kind of red flags that business owners or VPs or CEOs that might be listening going, I'm seeing that with my sales manager? So we painted that the really good picture about the sales manager who still wants to be a salesperson, right? So that is a, a big red flag. If they still have that propensity to be the face to be out in the field and you hear them on the phone closing deals or they're getting excited when they're like, oh yeah, I closed that deal. Um, oh, that's dear. a problem. Yeah, so a if you hear I in a sales manager's retort, like pay attention, listen to what they say. Do they say I, do they say we, do they say the team? Like if they say I too much, then they're still in that point where it is all about them. Another yeah. big challenge that I see is them like, and you mentioned this, it's like when I was a sales rep, this is what I did. Like I call it that um, here, there's a, a movie that came out, I think in the nineties and it, the person would always be like, yeah, that one time at band camp. Yeah. You remember that one time at band camp? This is what happened. Oh yeah. That one time at band camp, that one yeah. time when I was a sales rep. Yeah. That one time when I was a sales rep. Oh, when I was a sales back. Oh, back in the glory days, no one cares about that. Nobody no, actually cares about what you did as a salesperson because I'm a human. <laughs> And as a human, I don't operate like you operate it, right? And so that's another big red flag. Like if they keep referring to the past, they're trying to put their salespeople in little teeny tiny boxes. Like nobody wants their sales, no salesperson wants to be in a little box and they're trying to fit them in a cookie cutter um, mentality. And uh, another big red flag is how they respond to conflict. Like when something mm. happens in the team, are they like fiery red? Do they shut their door? Do they start snapping at people? Like, are they like so um, averse to that conflict that they put that steely hand side up or do they do the complete opposite, which is shut down? I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm not, I'm, I'm on teams. I'm do not disturb. Um, my phone is off. Like, I don't want to talk to anyone. That means that they cannot deal with difficult situations well. And as a manager, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. And if they're not, if they're, they don't deal with conflict well, what happens is that starts going into the team and they don't bring their manager conflict anymore. And they start trying to self-manage and then it just kind of tumbles down. I would say those are the top three that I see that happen a lot. I, I create that whole avoidance or denial. I mean, those yeah. are pretty bad, pretty bad kind of mindsets to have because it just gets you in a downward spiral, right? You know, the sh shutting the room or the shouting or the table thumping boss said with great effect as I to pump, pump the table here, right? You know, like yeah. to make their point. But, you know, the other thing is what I see, and this is why I love talking to you because we talked about it on the last show with you, is this psychological safety concept. Like if your reps don't feel safe, just like your buyers, if they don't feel safe with your reps, they won't open up. They won't be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. They won't tell you about the innermost problems and challenges like anyone. No one's going to tell you something if you don't feel safe. So if you don't feel safe with your sales manager, mm -hmm. and we don't need the big Google seven-year research that they did, right, on psychological safety to say <laughs> if they don't feel safe with you as a sales manager, they're not going to tell you. They're going to tell you what they're struggling with, and you're not going to be able to help them. This kind of like – top-down um, control and command, I, I see it a lot. It's particularly very blokey. It's a very masculine thing. We see it here in um, Australia and New Zealand a lot where I know better than you and it's my way or the highway and they use a lot of I words. And, again, I'm, I'm being generalised here, but it's much better to be curious and then go, right, let's unpack this. What's going on here? 
Why is this not working for you? Let's work on some solutions. Let's listen to some calls. Let's spend some truck time together. Let's work out a new strategy for you. As opposed to coming in and uh, rescuing, rescue you know, that rescuer role. And that's probably one of your uh, personas, right? You know, because you're already thinking dominator, rescuer, crusher, hugger, whatever. And we'll make them all, we'll make them all rhyme like Dr. Zeus, right, Wesleyan? Because we're really yeah. clever and like recall and retrieval. <laughs> Mouth film yeah. phonetics, right? Yeah. But you know, you know, table thumper, hugger, dominator, all that kind of stuff. But I just hate seeing when they take over the deal. And I think that was a really important point. You might be like, right, I got the deal, and they get more excited than the rep. It's like yeah. they are the support act; they're not the lead act. You know, and you lead from the you lead from behind, not from in front. Absolutely. You'd agree with that? All, all, I agree with everything. There's one thing I do, I want to interject. Please, you said, please. You, when they um, are unhappy, you don't know it. You absolutely yeah. do because they Good. leave. <laughs> they leave. Yeah. When they salespeople, when your top salesperson leaves, when you start getting resignation notes, or they do what they're calling now the quiet quit. Like they mm. were exceeding quota, they were blowing their numbers out. Now they're just barely hitting it because they're mentally yeah. checked out. Like that is how you know that you are the problem. Like, and you have to be introspective as a leader. If you don't say, okay, what did I do here? Like, it's not always your fault, but what responsibility am I going to take for this before you go and like squeeze things down their neck? Then that's when that problem, they're like, I'm I'm done with this. I don't want to work for a tyrant. I don't want to work for somebody who doesn't know how to communicate. So I'm just going to do what I need to do, make my money, and then I'm going to find somewhere else to go work. Yeah, they are massive signals, eh? The turnover, the quiet quitting, they were going great, and then suddenly they're going wrong. Like, what's going on? Is it their personal life? Or is it, I would say CEOs, GMs, presidents, VPs, look out for these signs because these signs are sending, sending a signal, right, in terms of the – the watchouts and the work-ons. Mm-hmm. Wesley, I want to respect your time. I've got a couple more questions. I really would love to know what you think of this. Why is it that sales manager training is so rarer than sales rep training? Why do people spend so much time training the team instead of the manager, which we know the manager is the multiplier? Why mm. is that? Why do we see this pattern? of domination where, are we going to do some sales training, get the team in? No, actually, when you start with a manager, how, how would you how would you respond to that? And so it, it goes back to what we were talking about as a VP of sales, as a CEO, wherever you sit in that chain, in that upper leadership, your customers, your manager, right? Whoever you directly have to support, you have to think about what are the problems that they're having? Right. And so you're like, oh, our numbers are low. We need to teach our salespeople to sell better. That may have some validity and some truth. However, who's going to implement that? Who's going to hold them accountable? And the reason that organizations don't invest in leadership development is because they all, they want to go down to that lowest common denominator, right? They want to say, if we train 10 salespeople, these 10 salespeople, we're going to get an ROI of, I don't know, 10X, right? They're like 10X yeah. ROI, but no, actually you get a 0.5 ROI when you train your team and you get a 10X ROI when you train your sales manager, because that one sales manager can then impact 10 people and continue to impact 10 people. Whereas that one salesperson is impacting their little territory, their little customer base. So focus on the big picture. Don't focus on the smallest, tiniest little denominator. Like how can I impact the team holistically? And with sales manager training, it has to be in two parts. There are two components to sales manager training. Actually, there are three, but I'll talk about the two big ones. It's the sales skills, because don't take for granted that they actually know the core sales skills. They, If you say, can you make a prospecting plan? They may not know what to do. Like, I don't know what to do. I just always cold call, right? So don't take for granted that they have the core sales skills they need. And then you also have to teach them how to manage, how to do that, develop people, how to coach them, right? Those are the two core things that they must do. And then that third one is, I call it behavioral skills development. So it's like, what behaviors do I need to focus on in each individual person to drive these skills that I'm teaching them? So those three components, if you think about how 
important they are to impacting your frontline sales managers, that pays so many dividends. I had met with a customer that I worked with last year and he was like, man, Wesley, the, the multiplicity effect. And, you know, anybody who's in HR, they understand net promoter scores and things like that. They were at negative, like their numbers were negative when we started working together. <laughs> and they're like almost at like 75. They're like ridiculous now. That's How much it's gained because yeah. the team, like they, they're like my managers in the comments. My manager believes in me. My manager yeah. trusts me. My manager empowers me. Those were the comments that they're getting now. Like it was a complete shift change. Yeah, complete turnaround there. And well done you because in your negative territory, you've got to do some big things behaviorally to turn it around. And it's so funny, like people go, no, 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 I don't need to train to my managers. I just want you to train the team because they think they're going to get that sort of bigger effect. But you're right, that manager is with them all the time. You know, you and I might be there for, a matter of hours or a matter of days or a week, depending on our delivery method, whether it's a program, whether it's in person and however we do it. But the manager is recalling and retrieving that stuff all the time. So that skill build is is, is absolutely massive. Wesley, <clears throat> this has been a pleasure. I've got one last question I ask for all my guests. You go, he's always asking questions, this guy. Like he's always <laughs> asking more questions. I, I'm such a liar on my show because I go, one more question, one more question. But, <laughs> Because because um, we're very, very grateful to have you on here, is if you had one piece of advice to give to CEOs or GMs in the high executive and the ET and the, in, in the senior leadership team, the executive team, C-suite, whatever you want to describe, I'm just doing that globally so we all understand what we're doing, and the upper echelons of companies and knowing rural, but you don't need to ruralize it because I think these are just very applicable in any sales sector. What advice would you have for those CEOs and managing directors as they see their sales managers? I would say it's important to focus on behaviors. Um, I really think actions speak louder than words. So your sales manager can come to you and say, yep, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing that. But take time to go do what you want them to do, which is observe. Go sit into a sales meeting with them. Go on a customer call with them. What behaviors? Are they supportive? Are they detracting from the sales team? Are they actually keeping their word? Like really figure out what is happening in the core of that sales manager's mind. And it is up to you to figure out, is this person a good person for this position? And I... People love hiring me because I'm 100% honest. And sometimes I go to companies and I say, I understand this is the manager that you have right now. I never tell you to do anything with any managers, but it's going to take me 18 months to get him to baseline. Do you have that time? And they'll say no. And I'm like, I think he's a strong salesperson. He's just not a strong sales manager. And so sometimes that's what it is. And people are like, okay, I actually like selling more. And they can breathe. But if you see that they have what it takes and they just need a little bit of development, invest in that sales manager. Like literally if there is a 10X ROI because they can impact every single person on the team. And then the next generation of salespeople and the next generation of salespeople, like because they're a manager and they want to be good, whatever you teach them sticks. Whereas a salesperson is like, I don't care about this. A manager that wants to be developed, they're going to drink everything up that you're giving them and they are going to implement for years and years to come. I love that. So it's interesting we, it's that, like that cascade effect. We say to sales managers, you need to spend time with your reps. And then we're saying to those CEOs and those GMs, those presidents, C-suite, you need to spend time with your sales manager and observe them quietly and constructively, watching what they're doing well, what they're not doing so well, because otherwise you're just leaving it in a vacuum and you're relying on self-reporting bias because everyone wants to cover their own ass, right? Like, yeah, no, I'm doing a great job. Sales team going great, getting quite a CRM compliance or rest of it. So I think it's very important because we know how important sales is to any business, right? It's the lifeblood yeah. of any business. Don't neglect it. Spend time on it and it will be time well spent. You know, you know, I said I had like one last question. I've got one last question. Keep going. I'm a curious, I'm a curious fella here. You said keep throwing these. I'll keep, keep catching going. these. I'm taking, taking I know you're up for it. You're up for it. I am ready. And, um, my last, and I promise this is my last question before we wrap is, can you define the difference between sales management and sales coaching or sales leadership? How do you define, because a lot of times I'm having conversations 
training teams or training managers and they go, we don't want sales managers. We want sales coaching. We want sales leadership. Can you, because I know you'll have a wonderful answer for this. A sales manager, it's very simple. They're a micromanager. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're a manager, you're managing things. You're managing tasks. You're managing the itty-bitty, smallest, most insignificant things. And I always say I am a sales leadership coach and developer because I work with leaders. And they're like, oh, but the leader's a VP. I'm like, no, I need you to think like a leader. So where a sales manager focuses on task and teeny tiny insignificant things, what a sales leader does is they think about the business holistically. They manage up. That is a very key part of a sales leader job. I'm managing up. I manage down, obviously, and I manage across my operations, my marketing, whoever that is. So they have a 360 view of that. And then that coach part of them is I am a developer of people. So where a sales manager manages things, a sales coach focuses on developing people. Love it. Love it. I knew you'd have a great answer. I wish I could be as succinct as you, Wesley. Like, you're really good. <laughs> Thank you. Really good. You're just like sound bites, like boom, gold, like next 30 seconds, gold. Wesley, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for dialing from Texas at lunchtime um, on day before. Where can people get the good stuff? Where can they connect with you? We'll get it in the show notes. Where can they reach out if they want to learn more? The best thing to do is connect with me on LinkedIn. And even before you connect with me on LinkedIn, I have a link that is chock full of resources for salespeople and sales leaders. So please connect with me, find me, and I'm just Wesleyan. Awesome, Wesleyan. Hey, my friend, absolute pleasure. Like you've given us so much. And I think really around the specificity of sales management and sales leadership, sales coaching, you've, you've done us a huge service. So thank you so much. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my absolute pleasure. Hey, you. Hope you enjoyed that episode and you learned lots from it. It takes a bit of work to get these wonderful guests onto the show who share their knowledge freely and generously. So it makes sense for me to ask you a tiny favor in return, and that is to ask you to rate, subscribe, or share this podcast whenever you can with friends, family, colleagues, or anyone in your network that you think might benefit from it. The reason for my request here is simple. It's because I'm on a mission. And that mission is to elevate and improve the world's perception of rural sales reps. I do that by sharing more effective sales and marketing strategies by interviewing world-class leaders and thinkers on this show so we can get you and them the leads, respect, and results you all deserve. But I can only do that when you help me get this podcast out to a bigger, wider audience. As you know, unlike other podcasts, I don't include any of those annoying ads that affect your listening or learning experience. But if you did listen and you learned something and you're interested in making more sales or generating more qualified leads on a predictable and reliable basis, make sure you grab a free copy of my How to Succeed in Rural Sales ebook. It's normally $19.95 on Amazon, but you can download it for free as a listener. You can join my weekly rural sales email list Or you can even find out more about our Rural Sales Success Team Training or Rural Sales Manager Training Programs, including an exclusive preview of the content and training material we cover in them. If you want any of these free tools and resources, go to www.ruralsalessuccess.com, which I've also included in the show notes of this episode, which you can click on. So thank you for sharing the show and thank you for investing your time with me because I know you have choices where you spend that time. I do hope the time you spent with me today here was time well spent. Appreciate it and appreciate you.